Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's still a low-key video <laughs> game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Happy to be back. Happy to be back. We we often reference when we record at night, or if like a week has passed, because it really does... We're so used to recording every week that the minute that doesn't happen, it really does feel like eight months have passed, and we <laughs> both play 30 games. So this this episode, I think, will have this slightly unhinged uh, vibe to it. Yeah, we got a lot going on in the stack today. You can see, dear listener, you can already see the the rundown <laughs> and the episode title and the description and stuff. You know more than we do at this point. You're, you're one step ahead. True. We're just in the we're just in the present. You have, who knows what else is going to come up? I want to thank our good friend Chris Plant for filling in for me last week. That was a lot of fun yeah. to listen to. I will point out that he did say on our show, there are three good PlayStation games, which I took as a personal challenge. So I I hope to undo that statement. But I'm also so curious what those three games are and if they're all Ape Escape, because that that was my first thought. (laughs) I couldn't I could not take that bait. I knew I knew he was leading me down into a dark alleyway trying to sell me illicit objects. And I was like, absolutely not. I will not be peer pressured into this. I really enjoyed your discussions on that episode. It was a lot of fun. It was yeah, cool listening to the show being like, oh, this is like, this is my, this is mine. This is my show. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's how I felt when I was gone and, and, and Dom joined it. It was, it's weird. It's weird listening to the show. Exactly. Uh, just like as, as a person who's not on. Anyway, uh, thank you again to Chris Plant Thanks, for, Chris. for joining us for we that We love one. you. Steven, you have been playing some games that I want to hear about. Specifically, uh, a game that I started and then and then had to put down because I was like, "This is a lot, uh, and I'm too sleepy uh, for this." <laughs> but I'm going to check it out later in the year. Tell me, tell me about all the stuff you're playing. Just just hit me with it. You've been gone for a while. What have you been up to? Yeah, so for a solid week, I would say I didn't play anything uh, except for Marvel Snap because I feel like at this point, when I think I'm sleeping, I'm actually hitting daily quests. You know, um, I have dreamed about Marvel Snap recently, which is re- <laughs> yeah, where dude. it gets into a realm that I'm like, maybe. I do need to put this down a little bit. Yeah, it's like I, I've learned enough about progression to to feel that the monetization is okay to subpar, but the like the soul grasp of that game is is unchecked. Like, yeah. you know, I don't want to be playing it and I end up playing it. And I'm like, this is this is maybe dangerous. A great game, <laughs> but play at your own risk, just for your own sanity. Yeah. I will give a shout out though, in the Discord, there is a forum for Marvel Snap that's super active. And honestly, like Talking to people about the game to me is as fun as playing it. It yeah. reminds me, I mentioned like when we first talked about Marvel Snap, like what my experience with card games is like magic and Hearthstone and all that. And I, I forgot that like a big appeal for me is the community around it. So yeah. just a shout out to everyone there who's making like learning this game a really fun process. Yeah, I do. I do feel like uh, a little bit of an asshole jumping into that forum and being like, hello, here's my deck, you know? that everyone should borrow or everyone can use it's like well no one can because i'm like literally a thousand five hundred collector ranks above everybody else (laughs) and unlocking cards that are like so deep in pool three uh that it it's like you can't you can't build the decks that i make i'm sorry i'm so sorry uh it's also funny i should mention because the game is pretty good at matchmaking so it'll matchmake you against people with like similar collection ranks as you and similar like rank rank as you so i'm like close to rank 60 at this point my collection level is like 16 or something wow 
and the amount of people who are also in that exact Venn diagram is like maybe five or six. So I'm just constantly going up against the same five or six people <laughs> all the time. And every single time, like me and the other person will just like smash the hello button over and over again because like we all recognize each other at this I point. I love that. Yeah. It's honestly really nice. It's it's like this nice little community of like the 10 people who are at the same level as me. That's so funny. Yeah, I just got to gold. I felt pretty good about that. But anyway, I didn't come here to talk about Marvel Snap. I'm talking about it even without playing. <laughs> to <laughs> so when i got back uh from my trip i had two games that had been on my backlog for a long time and i kind of saw the connection between them in terms of like the style of storytelling and what they're about so i picked up a game called perfect tides and a game called i was a teenage exocolonist i am like an hour or so into perfect tides and i have finished i was a teenage exocolonist which uh for context is like five to six hours so i kind of mm. finished it in like three sittings which was I, yeah. I like that length for a game that might be very much a, a video game podcast desire but i think like being able to see a game through and like a week chef's kiss i love that that's a <laughs> perfect length for a game it yeah. also is perfect for us to talk about because i can say like yeah i finished it but without saying too much that is a game that will benefit from being replayed so i don't think i'm like done done mm -hmm. but i did feel like okay I, I i feel that was really cathartic i can take at least a break before i start a new playthrough yeah you were saying right before we started recording that you need you need to take some time away from it and just kind of let it let it mull over in the old yeah. noodle before you come back to it so i'm curious which one did you want to talk about first i can go either way i can chime in with uh exocolonist i'm more interested in perfect tides because i don't really know that much about it outside of i've seen some people recommend it and i saw it on steam and thought that seems like a game steven would like uh yeah. and here you are you've, you've played it so I, I'm, I'm curious about that one yeah so perfect tides is developed and published by by three bees and it is a point and click adventure game about this teenage girl named mara who lives in this beach town that seems to be like its own little isolated island kind of has south jersey vibes if i'm being honest <laughs> uh and it's pitched as like a perfect family community there are no cars and to like leave the island you have to take a ferry so mm. like it's already kind of an interesting setting where like any place that calls itself the perfect family community is like already a nightmare you know because that's like what does that mean yeah. like what are you trying to build and something i really love about south jersey is like i feel like south jersey has this really interesting blend of locations because like you can walk down the boardwalk and like see Atlantic City in the distance and also these like various beach towns and also these like abandoned arcades and it's like it feels like things are pulled from different eras all in the same place yeah. all by the beach which is like inherently beautiful and surreal so I've always been drawn to like that as a location and you know we're from North Jersey but like I think we both spent a lot of time growing up there for a variety of reasons whether it was like a summer trip or after prom or whatever <laughs> yeah I was I was frequently frequently going to South Jersey especially Especially as soon as I got my driver's license, that was like the big thing was, you know, I, I would like pile a bunch of friends into my car and we'd drive down for a weekend or something it was always really nice. The other thing about this game is that it takes place in the year 2000, which I actually didn't know going in. But I didn't know that either. That's, that's great. So the thing about that is I feel very hit or miss when a piece of media directly calls out when it is, because sometimes I feel like we get this like hey remember this and like i hate that like i hate this sort of like performative 90s or like mm -hmm. you know just sort of like almost like a ready player one version of the past where it's just like 
dude, remember videotapes? And it's like, you didn't choose this for an interesting reason if you're just relying on that nostalgia. But here, I mean, you know, in 2000, I was 10. So like I wasn't as old as the protagonist in this game. She's 16, but like very similar vibes. Like I remember that time distinctly. And I think what this game does so well with being in 2000 is that that was an era where going online was an elected choice. So like this girl, Mara, who's like kind of a loner, she's like very awkward. And a lot of the game is about being alone. Mm -hmm. And I find that because this is set in an era where like you're not immediately connected to everything, the game inherently makes you and Mara kind of spend a lot of time by yourself, you know, and makes going online kind of a brief little sanctuary where like it's kind of funny when you you sit by your computer, you have to sit through the dial up sound like it plays the whole thing as you just see like (laughs) the character's blank face which that really took me back in a big way (laughs) and the whole game has a very like late 90s early 2000s point and click aesthetic like some of the loading screens have like weird like graphics from that time and everything so i think like you definitely don't need to have grown up in the early 2000s to appreciate the setting but i think if you have it's going to be like the opposite of nostalgia it's going to be like an ice pack of the past like oh like i remember that like, i don't, <laughs> don't want to go back and that's what i really love about this game because i think so first of all the the style i really love um i believe the person who made this game is also a comic artist and you can tell like really really cool style for the character designs and really beautiful backgrounds i think inherent to point and click as a genre is like getting lost and having to explore and much like grim fandango which we talked about recently even when i'm stuck i love learning more about this weird place and hearing how Mara internalizes things and like the game does a good job balancing tone because it will often make you laugh but it also is like so crushingly relatable Mm. like for anyone who can recall when they were growing up and that's the thing that I really really appreciate because this is a larger conversation I'm trying to contain my thoughts but I find that a lot of media weirdly glamorizes like being a teenager and like you know, we'll cast 28 year old models as teenagers. And it's like, yeah, like this is the best time in your life. And it's like, no, this is like, a, this yeah, is it, a nightmare time to be, be alive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Like this game really embraces how tough it is to be this age because like, you're really like going right from being a kid and you're still a child, but all of a sudden there's this expectation that like you're accomplishing certain things and doing certain things. And you're mm-hmm. like figuring out one day at a time, and Mara's best friend is like kind of becoming popular and like it's quickly revealed like she might have had sex and Mara's like Whoa. like you just like kind of almost like a beavis and butthead like interpretation of like what intimacy even means and if she should be prioritizing that or like what that you know it's just yeah it's very honest i'm not super far and from what i know the story gets fairly heavy mm-hmm. um but i think it's just a really refreshing tale of this really difficult time Um, And I think anyone like, you know, I think anybody can relate to this regardless of of when they grew up. So I would highly recommend it. I think it's really well written. It's beautiful to look at. I'm playing on the Steam Deck. Um, Every now and then I have a little bit of difficulty. Like, like I had difficulty talking to my mom in the kitchen because I had to like put the cursor in the right place. But it's a great experience so far. So you're you're using the trackpads as like the the mouse. Yeah, you can use the the, you can use the control stick as well. And basically, uh, if you hit the bumpers, you can cycle between like look at, talk, move to, or like use an item so like Mm. 
one example of of it kind of embracing the like 90s esoteric thing is like you meet this guy who's like selling weird stuff on the boardwalk and you don't have any money he's like well maybe if you give me something cool i might give you like some chips or something (laughs) uh so you find a bottle of beer and bubble wrap and you wrap the bubble wrap around the beer and make like a makeshift beer koozie and he's like (laughs) when you see trash you know some people see trash you see treasure like can bill gates have invented this no and then he gives you like a free bag of chips (laughs) and then and then it's nighttime and it's like did i have any plans today like so it's like it's very much like i i think it's like the opposite of persona in this way where it's like in persona it's like all your friends are calling you and you're like going doing all this cool stuff in the big city in this game it's like i don't know i guess i have a bag of chips and i might go online tonight after i log on for five minutes via dial-up it's great i think you would really like it too i think it would resonate with you yeah this has been on my backlog for a little bit this came out earlier this year i want to say like january or february or something yeah yeah and and has looked really great i mean i saw a lot of coverage when it came out um and and it's definitely a game i want to check out i don't know how long it is do you know how long it is I think it's like six hours. It's also pretty short. Beautiful. But I've also been a little bit lost, so I might have an inflated uh, playtime eventually. Yeah. How does, <laughs> how does it deal with the point and click of it all? Like, do you, do you feel like it's a little bit esoteric in like a Monkey Island way or is it a little more streamlined? I think it's both. I think they're like, I'm at a point where I truly have no idea what to do, but mm-hmm. I think it's helped by the fact that like there's so much of the island to explore. And yeah. I think like even when I'm lost, I'm learning more about how Mara sees the world and it also feels in character that like she would just sort of wander around town and like look at abandoned buildings and the beach and stuff and you know I think that that it adds to the experience um even if I do like sometimes just want to progress like there are some moments where I think it could be a little clearer or like I sometimes have difficulty finding like what like that bottle of beer I mentioned I it took me a while to realize I could like take that and that was like an item I could buy or Mm. I could pick up so there's a little bit of that but like same with Grim Fandango it's like just look up a guide if you get lost I'm sure they exist at this point and I think you're playing this game for just the atmosphere and the writing and the music is also great it's just a really kind of immediately gripping story and I think it's so impressive to be this gripping when it's kind of low stakes like I'm always impressed by stories that are pretty grounded and and pretty uneventful but like it's just so and maybe it's because I grew up in this time and you know I have an attachment but I I just think this game is really good at like showing what it is to be young and to be human and to deal with your own insecurities and like the terror of growing up yeah this sounds really good Uh, it's awesome I should also mention this is available on so you're playing it on Steam Deck. This is also yeah. available on, on Windows and Mac as well. So uh if you want to like actually point and click uh with Yeah, I mouse. would say like a mouse is probably the move, and that might make it easier for you just to quickly check all corners of the map rather than yeah. like dragging the trackpad around. Um yeah. but it's also like I've enjoyed having it handheld as well. Cool. Um so I think both work. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna check this out. It also looks like there's a sequel coming that takes place in 2003 in the big city Uh, oh really yeah uh it's about mara moving to the city that's awesome yeah i'm really excited to see uh what comes next from this developer yeah three b's is the developer three b's is great yeah i also can't wait to see how this game progresses because again i'm still pretty early on but i felt strongly enough to bring it to the show yeah uh that's perfect tides You've been playing Exocolonist as well. Uh, I was yeah. a teenage Exocolonist is the full title. I was uh, a teenage Exocolonist. Which uh, I'll just I'll just say like from the top, I play I started playing it. I want to say like a month ago, maybe two months ago. I got it on the Switch and played about an hour and a half of it and was like, 
it, it was pretty late. It was like 1130 p.m. Uh, when I started playing it and played it for like an hour and a half. And I was like, I am so tired and this is so good and I need to put it down. And then I think another game came out immediately that pulled me away from it. And I was like, I will have my time with this game. Uh, and you have now joined the race and lapped me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to I want to hear about your experience with this game because it's immediately gripping and fascinating and a really interesting idea and concept just for like even mechanically what they're going for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so I had heard about this game. I think it came out in August, if I'm not mistaken, and it's been in my backlog for a while, but I, I didn't really know what to expect. I will say I don't know if this is intentional or not, but I feel like the title of the game and sort of like the game art doesn't really forecast what the experience is going to be like Mm. and i mean like the art is like beautiful and like those are the characters you know i think having exocolonists in the title is very important for reasons i'll get into but for whatever reason like when i first heard that title i was expecting it to be kind of like an irreverent dating sim you know and like Mm. not like one of the best works of sci-fi of this year like you know it's (laughs) Yeah, I didn't write it off. I just didn't really know what to expect. And I think it's worth knowing uh, not not any spoilers, but like the game actually has a great on the main menu. There's a tab for content warnings and it just sort of broadly goes down like, OK, like here are like some things that happen pretty early on. Yeah. And then if you want more specifics, you can go deeper. Um, they also I, let you skip that stuff as well, which I think is important. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. There, there are situations every once in a while where there will be a scene that will play out. And right before that scene plays out, they'll be like, hey, here's some stuff that about to happen in this scene like do you want it or do you want to just skip past this i think the game definitely like earns the heavy themes it's tackling in my opinion but i will say that this game is profoundly sad so like that's like my only caveat if you want to pick this up like be be in an okay place before you play this game yeah Uh, at least that's how my playthrough went and that's also i think the strength of this game is that like your story might be very different but essentially what the game is uh there is a group of humans that are coming from earth earth has been ruined by very real issues that we're facing now so like climate change it's Mm -hmm. like you know the works yeah if our current societal problems don't get addressed like this is sort of the fate of the earth basically so a group of humans are leaving and they get sucked into a wormhole and then they land on this new alien planet with the intention of starting over and actually what's interesting too and this is not something i expected a lot of the game is like as a kid kind of like dragon quest five like you are a player character um you can change their name and their gender and what's cool is the gender is like it's a sliding scale so it's not like a binary choice you can yeah also at any point in the game you can kind of like change your identity if you find that that's like where the character is headed or whatnot and also in terms of like the end game romance options like everyone is dateable which is the move i think stardew valley kind of established that and i feel like that's like what every game like this should should do yeah totally so all that to say the game begins when your character is 10 there are some things you can't change about your character like you always have the same parents and there's sort of like your character will always have similar complexion and hair and like character design but you know again you can you can change um other other parts of their identity Mm -hmm. but it starts when you're 10 and all the other colonist children are 10 and basically every year is 13 months And every month is like a single action kind of familiar framing device. Like in, in the colony, you can kind of run around and there are various buildings. Like there's a school, there's a gym, 
there's like the gate where like as a kid you can sneak out and explore the outside area of the colony uh there's also like the lounge where you can just relax and you know other buildings that like will give you certain stat increases and also there's sort of a character that's like the stand-in for that area so there's like the sports friend who's this girl who like is kind of like a headfirst jock and what's interesting too is all the kids have been given genetic implants of some kind so they all have like a perk and hers is that rather than getting cuts or bruises she gets hard scales so that that kind of aids her like i'm just gonna like tackle this dude and like get in fights because like i can just you know i won't really feel that pain because i'll just develop these scales on me uh she's like missing a tooth very very funny and endearing character yeah then there's like the school friend tangent who's this kind of cold very smart kid who uh seems to like resent her like corporeal form and like is like oh the li- like, she's always talking about the limits of humanity even as a 10 year old and her <laughs> her uh perk is that she doesn't need as much sleep as the other kids she's like always doing research yeah and that's really fascinating so pretty early on you're meeting all these characters you're also meeting the adults of the colony you have the same parents every time i love your parents in this game they're such great characters yeah they're really good and what's fun is like every kid is like you can kind of see the archetype you can kind of see like you know you get a flavor of like okay like uh for example there's another character named mars who's like really bossy and immediately just makes demands of you but if you stand your ground to her she's like oh okay cool like she's she's not defensive she's just like a great leader and you're like (laughs) this girl's gonna run for office the minute she turns 17 and i will vote for her it's like yeah you you just kind of feel and and i think it's it's really uh brace yourself but it reminds me a lot of part one of three houses where like kind of just like through osmosis like in in exocolonist you only have so much time to really get to know certain characters so usually like like i prioritize school and like creativity the most yeah um so i got to know tangent really well and a few other people um so like my buds were like tangent her weird brother who sneaks out and cal the nice farmer boy um Mm -hmm. so that was like my crew and like i liked everyone else but i didn't really get to know them quite as well and then as time progresses and the game goes from every year so it's 10 and then it ends at them all turning 20 once they've become young adults everyone has sort of chosen their path Mm -hmm. and it's really sad sometimes to watch like helplessly as a character is maybe going down a path you feel is wrong and it reminds me a lot of you know three houses where you see these characters like whether they're in your class or not you see like who they are what they're dealing with what they're grappling with and then you see who they become with or without your guidance yeah and i think this game is doing kind of a similar thing where like you can't in a single playthrough you can't get to know everybody so like there are inevitably going to be some friendships that maybe go in tough directions. And what I think is really well done in this game is that even once you've like, you know, gotten to 90 or whatever with a certain character, there might still be adversity in your relationship. Like those characters might do something or make a decision that like deeply troubles you as a player. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it makes all these characters feel like they are living their own lives and making their own choices. They're not just like trophies for you to unlock. You know, they're not like, oh, I've like chosen this friend to be my friend. They're they're people. And I feel like making those relationships so nuanced, whether it's platonic or romantic or not, like 
it's really effective. And I feel like in just six hours, I have a really strong sense of at least half of this cast and like, you know, the best of them and the worst of them. And like, yeah, there's so much I want to talk about with this game. I obviously yeah, wait, like can I lot. Can, can yeah. I ask a question? I'm just curious. because So I, I was really impressed pretty early on just with the setup for the game, like plot wise, you know, before yeah. I'd even like really met anybody. I think just this idea of these people trying to escape a dying earth and, and, and settling on a new planet. You know, it's a lot of like groups of parents, essentially. It's very, <laughs> it's, it's very uh, alien covenant, but without the like <laughs> Michael Fassbender nightmare xenomorph of it all, um, at least well, at the top. Yeah, yeah. at least at the top. <laughs> but that having been said, it, it sounds like the thing that's really driving you through the game, even more so than the overarching plot is just how well-written all these characters are. Would you yeah. say that that's, that's the case? Yeah, I would say like, so. Like you're in it for these relationships more than you are for anything else. Not to say that the story is bad because I was already impressed by it and I'm sure it gets good and stays good and will change depending on who you're close to, but it sounds like who you're close to is kind of the reason for the season. It is because I think the, the main plot is concerned with really big ideas that are largely out of your control, at least, yeah. you know, early on. I think what this game does so well is it really does focus on the moral issues with even the act of like coming to this planet to colonize like yeah even as kids like tangent who you know is this savant but like she's like have humans earned the right for a second chance like what I love, too, is that because it's this alien planet, the seasons are not one to one with our own. So the seasons are quiet, which is kind of like a nice winter, mm. soft snow winter, pollen which is like what it sounds like, which seems nice, but some people are having like allergic reactions. And it's also quickly established that like plant life and animal life on this planet is not as like, it's not as divided. Like there are a lot of plants that exhibit sort of animal behavior. Cool. And, and there are animals that have plant-like behavior. So the idea of like pollen heavily going somewhere is like, this might have been a conscious decision and not like, you that's know. fascinating. Yeah, that's so interesting. So pollen is the next one. Then the wet season, which is kind of like spring. And then the glow season, which is like the sky is just like a night starry sky and all the vegetation is glowing. And for whatever reason in glow season, the life on the planet becomes really hostile and begins attacking the settlement. Um, mm. So that's established very early on and quickly like the year always ends with this like uncertainty of like how bad is glow season going to be. And again, a lot of the kids are like tangent is asking like it's not a coincidence that this planet is like hostile to us because we just showed up out of nowhere and are trying to claim it as our own. And Mars is like Earth seems like it was great. Like, why did we why did we give up on it so easily? Which is another question that's asked a lot is like maybe the right move was staying on Earth and trying to fix it as opposed to totally. going somewhere new and, and maybe repeating the same problems. Yeah. So I think the game is like you mentioned with Chris uh, last week that like trying to discern like what is this year's legacy, which is obviously hard to do during mm -hmm. the year but i do think this year we've gotten so many great sci-fi games that are tackling really big and heavy ideas between citizen sleeper yeah hard space shipbreaker and exocolonists like all these games are really examining problems that are present in our own reality i think it's very impressive for this game to be so alien and so out there but also like the idea of like living on stolen land and you know environmental collapse and like what do we have to do to survive and like is it worth the cost of like okay like now that we're here we have to do these things for our little society to live but like 
should we have even <laughs> like maybe it's better if we just die you know and like yeah all these characters are navigating this in so many different ways and what i think really resonated with me is that again the thing i prioritized most was school so i studied engineering so i'm like i feel like we gotta have to get off this place eventually so i'm gonna be the best engineer possible so, we can, <laughs> so i prioritize engineering and also the humanities uh-huh. and there's a uh-huh. teacher uh there named hal probably a, a 2001 reference but there's also an ai named congruence who is like your friendly uh ai teacher mm. So I prioritize education, studying engineering and humanities, and uh, the way these kids learn about Earth's history is so much as if, like, it happened, that's over, we don't need to worry about that anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like, the, the the mistakes that your ancestors made on Earth are not going to happen here. And I feel like so much damage was done to many generations in the U.S. in history class being taught history in that same way. Totally. It took me until maybe my mid-20s to realize how connected to history we are. You know, like, even if it's well-intended, when we learn about the Civil War or the Civil Rights Movement or Vietnam, like, all these things that are delivered as if they're this, like, movie that happened in the distance and it's not relevant to your life anymore, it's like, no, man, as much as we try to put history and decades and eras into these like concrete boxes history is us trying to learn from a continuous flow of time you know in many ways we're facing new and different problems but those issues that preceded us are still very present and i think learning from history is i think something that like society like needs to do and also i think is a major theme of this game where like this is i think one of the more interesting things and i I don't want to pit them against each other uh because i i i love them but this is one of the interesting things i think about citizen sleeper or hard space shipbreaker which are both games that are kind of as as you just mentioned are dealing with this idea of like okay what does the individual do in an era where unchecked capitalism has kind of expanded out into just like dystopia essentially you know like that 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 separation very like cyberpunk separation between you know the people who are living in the slums versus the people who are living in like the giant high rises um the people who need to sell their consciousness to become a robot you know doing doing menial chores uh breaking apart ships in both of those games it is a pretty rough space to be but when you sit down and you ask yourself what is this game saying it's like capitalism is bad and this is you know i i think i think citizen sleeper has some more interesting things to say than that you know it, it's a lot about mapping onto our current like economic crisis uh etc etc but there is this larger question i think that goes unasked and unanswered uh that that i think exocolonist is really kind of drilling down on which is exactly what you're bringing up this idea of like okay you can acknowledge that past events have happened but there needs to also be an acknowledgement that they can happen again and there needs to be an acknowledgement that like as important as it is to look at events in history you need to understand that the events in history will continue if the systems remain unchecked you know exactly like Citizen Sleeper and Hard Space Shipbreaker starting you in that kind of like post-apocalypse capitalism has ruined everything uh, space doesn't give you the agency to really ask those questions about, you know, how do you prevent that? How do you undo that? Because you're just kind of like burdened by it. Whereas Exocolonist is giving you this space where it's like, we can shape this. We can acknowledge that the system needs to be undone. We can acknowledge that the things that have happened in the past can happen again. And, and how do we avoid them now before it's too late? I think it's a really important question to be asking and this is also a lot stemming from uh, another game that we're going to talk about later that we've both been playing that that 
I, I've just been considering a lot this idea that like it's really easy to blame individuals and really hard to blame systems. Yes. Seems to be like a core tenant of exocolonists writing and, and like thematic through line. And that is that's a big question to be asking, especially right now. That's like a that's a big topic of conversation that I think makes a lot of people uncomfortable. You know, I I, I think it's it's easy to, to sit back and watch the news and be like, yes, you know, this is breaking. This is breaking. This is breaking. You can acknowledge that things are breaking, but you also need to acknowledge that like maybe your space in those broken systems is to try and fix them or change them um and and like what is what is your as an individual personal responsibility to do that is is like a huge undertaking and like an individualistic concrete like formative idea that you need to shape for yourself before you can you know grow old and look back and be like did i spend my time wisely you know yeah did i set up a bit it's it's like it all goes back to that like so classic like cliche of like oh yeah you know the 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 key tenant of growing older is planting trees that you'll never sit in the shade of like that is very much what this game seems to be about yeah i also think having the cast be children for so long so again it's like every year is 13 months and you know yeah you're not even a teenage exocolonist until the very end basically <laughs> like <laughs> you know so like to have all these discussions happening and have all these revelations happening within the cast while they're helpless children mm-hmm. you know is is really powerful because it feels like by the time you're old enough and strong enough to make a difference it might be too late i yeah. think learning learning history and thinking what what could i have done better i think is also what lends to replaying the game because like yeah without saying too much like the game does want you to learn from your own history as the character mm-hmm. and amidst all these big societal questions and examinations and and critiques and satire is just like being a kid and growing up like the game is also full of moments of joy yeah that are just akin to like being a kid and like getting in trouble and Another part of the game that I haven't even mentioned because <laughs> this game is so thematically rich is like the way the game actually plays is when you choose <laughs> uh, like, OK, this month I'm going to go to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be kind of like flavor text. It might just throw you right into like, how did you do in class this month? Or there might be a little event. But either way, basically, the game is is a deck builder. Kind of. <laughs> it's so it's so funny that we're like 30 minutes into this conversation. Yeah. It's like, yes, it's also a deck builder. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say this game is a deck builder but that is well, I like know you mean like you, you have to mention it it's how you interact with the game yeah that is how they gamify like taking actions which yeah. when i first saw i was like for whatever reason i played at least like six games that have thrown in deck builder mechanics that absolutely didn't need them yeah. so like whenever there's a deck builder jump scare i'm like i already got marvel snap dude like i don't need another <laughs> card game but what's really well done with this one it's really simple like basically you have to hit a certain oh god it is marvel snap you have to hit a certain power value mm-hmm. and there are three types of cards so there are blue cards that are associated with knowledge uh yellow cards that are associated with like empathy creativity Mm -hmm. uh emotions and red and then there's lady sif who can destroy apocalypse (laughs) who will come back with four extra power in your hand not far off there's there's red (laughs) which is toughness and bravery perception more like physical stuff so most (laughs) of my deck was blue and yellow but Mm -hmm. you basically get cards through life experience so like the way they've gamified 
like your life and emotional moments, like a really big gut punch in the game became a card for me that was worth a really high amount. So like all Mm. of a sudden, if you have like increasing numbers that will like give you bonus points or if you have like sequential like colors, okay, blue, blue, yellow, yellow, that will get you points. I find that most of the time I could win pretty easily, but there are moments where you don't. And like, even when you lose, it will inform the story. Like it's not like a game over or anything. It just like, that will be like, for example, there was one time I was exploring outside the colony and I ran into this animal and I failed the challenge to like run away and it like kind of hurt me so like for that month I had like minus five to my toughness and like Mm. you know it was a penalty but it did inform the story in a way where like all of a sudden I was like okay I'm kind of like this kid who's like an ace student and really creative but like when it comes to like being face to face with danger maybe I don't have what it takes maybe like you know I can't realistically face this threat which you know that leads into I will say the story goes in some pretty surprising directions. Like there are definitely like things that are percolating beneath the surface that will absolutely come to surface. But then there's stuff where it's like, whoa, okay, left turn, but like in a really good way. Mm. And uh, it's a miraculous video game. It's definitely one of my favorites of this year. I can say that pretty confidently. Um, I'm really excited to play it again and to like see how that feels. And the only thing I'm like kind of nervous about is like, I don't want it to be like, and that's the perfect way to be a teenager. Like, I don't want it to be like, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it will. Like, I, I, I imagine there's probably like a, a good ending if you've like played it a bunch of times. Mm. But I think this game is smart enough and like well written enough that I imagine everything will will be somewhat bittersweet. You yeah. know, I, I don't I don't think you can have it all in this game. And actually, the ending that I got, which I won't spoil, but I felt like like it was a little somber. But I felt like you know what that matches up with how I spent my life in this game. Like I feel mm. like I reached a pretty good point, and the fate of the colony was like it made sense. But like the things that I stopped, the things that I know that I prevented, I could have gotten a much worse ending. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I would love to talk about this game like with spoilers with you one day, whether that's a bonus or just like a segment. Uh, I really, really think not to force it on you, but like try to at least do one playthrough before the year's over because I, th- I think you'll love it. Yeah, I'm 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 absolutely gonna finish it before the yeah. year's over. Yeah, it's it's been uh on my like the top of my backlog list. Uh, I've I've even opened it a couple times like over the past couple weeks. Uh, so it's like still towards the top of the list of games that's on my Switch home screen. So I like see it every time I turn on my Switch. Still, I will definitely finish it. This is this is on Steam and PlayStation. Uh, I think on PC and Mac, just to be clear for Steam. Um, and on PS4 and and switch so you can play anywhere i've been playing on steam deck as well oh nice it's a really great experience highly recommend yeah i do feel like maybe steam deck is kind of the place for it 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 plays really well it's it's there's no issues at all yeah i was a teenage exocolonist is a uh, cool video game you can play (laughs) you should check it out that's right (laughs) that's right uh you want to take a break i do yeah let's take a break and we'll be back soon okay goodbye bye bye Hello and welcome back. Steven, I've been playing some games also. 
It's not just you. It's not. It's not all about me. It's, it's not all about your games. I also have games. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> now the pressure's on. <laughs> Marvel snap. Yeah. <laughs> I do feel like you just snapped on me. Yeah, that's what just happened. You're like, I'll call that exactly. bluff. Want to start with a, a a new a new video game? One that came out um at, at least the past week at, at the time of this recording. Uh, do you want to be clear up front? We both received codes for this game. Um, I've been playing it on both Steam Deck and Xbox, which I actually do want to get into. Um, It's called the Entropy Center, which is a game that is described as a portal-like. And boy, is it portal-like. It's like really, really, really going for, hey, what if they made a Portal 3? Uh, But it didn't have Mm. portals in it, which honestly, great. I I will say when I first received the pitch for it and like downloaded it and started playing it. I was like, man, this is like really, really, really just trying to be portal. And you and I did a bonus earlier this year about portal one and two. We had a lot to say about that game, the way it holds up, the ways in which it's able to subvert our ideas of, you know, first person shooters and making it something that's like a nonviolent and be like, like a comedy game. That's all about puzzle solving was it's brilliant. I mean, portal one and two are both like brilliant video games. Yeah, they're excellent. Yeah. Saying you want to make a game that's like portal is, I would say, Uh, at the top before I heat praise on this game, a fool's errand. It's a difficult, (laughs) that's a wild thing to say you want to do. It's like saying, I want to make a meal that is the tastiest thing on earth. <laughs> yes, <basically. laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. The Entropy Center uh, nails it. It's a great. That's awesome. It's a great video game. Uh, I've, I've been really, really, really surprised by it. I want to say up front that I've been playing it on Steam Deck and Xbox. I thought that Xbox was the way to go because I was having some issues with it on Steam Deck. It's not like officially verified for Steam Deck or anything. I'll just say that the resolution settings and stuff out of the box on Steam Deck weren't really working for me. Um, and I did, did a little bit of digging and found a website which i'll link to in the show notes where somebody just posted their settings to make it run at like a perfect locked 50 frames per second with like really beautiful bloom lighting and high resolution textures and stuff and it run it honestly feels even better now on my steam deck than it does on the xbox oh um, cool which is wild so would recommend doing that uh if if you are are deciding where to pick this game up but the thing about the entropy center it starts off um and i have a video about this on our youtube channel that you can check out youtube.com slash into the cast but the game starts off with just this kind of like neon lit platform submerged in water with a bunch of like floating destroyed islands and in the distance you just see the earth kind of like hanging over this platform and as you start walking towards it the earth explodes uh, in a fiery ball of, of nightmare shit. And then you immediately wake up in this kind of very like the beginning of Portal 1 room where uh, an announcer voice is like, hello, welcome to the Entropy Center. Please uh, head towards the testing rooms and start doing your whole portal thing. It's like, oh, okay, fine. All right, we're really doing it. Where I think the game sets itself apart and one of the things I've been thinking about a lot in regards to it is... The space in which you're traversing, like the entropy center itself is a really beautiful space to be in. Like it's a really, I I think, like lush and vibrant space that is also like brutalist concrete architecture bound. Uh, It's it's this like really kind of like angular, interesting space that has become totally overgrown by the plants that I think were supposed to be outside of the building. So it has this kind of like post-apocalypse energy. You're the only person in, in this entire space just kind of trying to make your way through it. So, you know, nature has reclaimed it. The big asterisk on that is that you're also on the moon. So you're in this kind of like biodome from what I can understand, at least I don't know that for sure yet, but you're in this kind of biodome where the, the plant life that was meant to, I think, provide oxygen for this dome has broken into the space. So you get what's essentially like 
the place that you're uh, you're exploring in control, but it's overgrown with plants, which is a beautiful place to be in. And one of the brilliant things about the game, I think, in terms of the ways in which they're guiding the player's eye towards spaces is they they have this uh, orange paint that they'll throw up on walls or like things of note that you need to be looking at that plays really well against like that vibrant green of the foliage. I, I think I think it's like a really good uh, contrast between those two colors. Uh, it works really well. And it reminds me so much because I, I played through for our bonus. I played through Portal 1 with with the director's commentary on, which was really interesting. I mean, I highly recommend doing that. If you play Portal 1 or 2, yeah. both of them have director's commentary that you can just these like floating objects that you can just go interact with. And you'll just like hear somebody talk about how they built the space or how they designed a puzzle or, you know, you know how they did the voice acting, et cetera, et cetera, which is very cool just to get like a really good glimpse into how games are made, especially like two yeah. of the best games of all time, like how they're made specifically, because <laughs> um, yeah. I think like a really cool resource to have. But one of the ones that's always stuck with me is that in both Portals 1 and 2, but one specifically, they had initially designed the game to also kind of have a rundown Aperture Science Lab. Like it was in- initially designed to be kind of broken and overgrown with foliage and all that kind of stuff. And what they decided was that in playtesting, they found that having too much stuff in a testing center or in a testing room meant that the player frequently didn't know what they could or could not interact with yeah and if you have too much debris and too many plants and whatever in a room that's going to distract the eye from what's important which is you know the cube and the button that the cube needs to go on and where you can shoot portals um which is i think where you get into portal 2 i think for you and i at least in the conversation that we had about it is where that game doesn't fail to be clear but portal 2 does lean into hey aperture science labs has now been like totally run down uh it's falling apart in on itself there is debris everywhere and the ways in which the development team has kind of gotten around that hurdle of like we need to make sure the player needs to know where to go is just find the one white wall that you can shoot a portal on which at at a certain point becomes a little bit rote and becomes a little bit like oh i'm just doing this again you know the moments in which there's a big set piece and you need to run really fast through a space that's collapsing in on itself the answer ends up being like just look for the one white wall with the with the floodlight aimed at it you know it's cutting (laughs) through the darkness yeah which kind of removes the the puzzle solving element from a game that should be about puzzles um it's like the one negative thing i can say about portal 2 the entropy center like totally subverts that and 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 honestly kind of flourishes in this fact that it's totally overgrown which I, I i'm really really blown away by this use of orange to guide the player's view into spaces is really really smart and it allows them to kind of have the best of all worlds because not only is there all of this like plant life bursting into this uh kind of crushing architecture but you also have open windows where sun is like beaming down in or i guess fake sunlight or whatever is beaming down into these testing rooms or uh because of the way the climate works in this dome sometimes it'll be raining in certain areas so it's like you know you just have like rain pouring into the space and you're trying to find like the cube that you need to be moving around and placing onto a button or whatever Uh, but thankfully all of this stuff is like outlined in orange neon so it's like really easy again to visualize Visualize what you can and can't interact with. So all of that stuff, I think, is really impressive by itself. The other thing is obviously this game does not have a portal gun in it. Like you're trying to be a portal like, but simultaneously the game is trying to come up with its own thing. And I think when you're talking about the folly of trying to make a game like Portal, it's not in the irreverent humor and it's not in making, you know, the testing zones uh, look cool or whatever. It's really in finding 
a, a device for puzzle solving as brilliant as the portal gun. You know, the portal gun, yeah. I think, is the thing that makes Portal and Portal 2 so brilliant, which is like, it seems so obvious. But if you're trying to make a game like Portal and you don't have something as locked in and as like easy to understand early on as the portal gun, you're going to you're going to fall flat on your face like immediately, you know, and and what the Entropy Center has done, the team that made this game, they give you, you know, similarly a gun that does a cool thing. And what that cool thing is specifically is it rewinds time for the object that you're shooting at. So an easy and interesting one uh, is right at the top or towards the top. One of the one of the interesting uh, one of the interesting puzzles is you're put in a room where there's a button that's like kind of like floating out in space uh, and you have a cube and you have a platform that's moving back and forth. So what you have to do is take that cube, put it on the platform, let it kind of go across the room until it's hovering over the button and then let it go back across the room again. And you rewind that cube so it's essentially going back in time in space where it was going until it's hovering over the button and then you release the cube and then it drops on the button. So you're kind of like letting that platform move the cube around through time so you can reverse that to be separate from where oh, the wow. platform is. That's really cool. It's really cool. And a lot of the game is about experimenting with things like that. Uh, a lot of the game is about saying like, OK, I'm going to take this cube and I'm going to put it on top of a, a, a catapult that's going to launch it across the room so I can get it into a space, you know, that that it's. Uh, previously inaccessible and then rewind it back in time again to bring it back and put it on a button you know that will let me go into that space things like that it's a really brilliant idea uh and and i think is accomplished i, I think that would be a little bit like brain breaky and a little bit hard to kind of wrap your head around early on if it wasn't for the fact that they also visualize the path like the time path that an object has taken so you can press i think it's a left button at any moment uh, when you're when you're pointing at an object and you can see via these like glowing dots through the air the exact path that that thing has taken through time and where you can rewind it to oh that, that's really helpful it's yeah. really 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 helpful um and every single object can have up to 30 seconds of of time like data essentially uh mapped to it so you can you will eventually start needing to mess with like multiple cubes in space or like one of the cubes is a jump cube quote unquote that you can like jump onto and it'll launch you into the air things like that and and how you can mess with the idea of saying like well i have two jump cubes and i need both of them to be on buttons that are like way up at the top of this testing center and you're going to need to like juggle back and forth between okay i'm going to put i'm going to put this one on the ground use it to jump the second one up and then take the second one jump it down and then use that one to jump the first one up and then rewind the first one to get both the cubes onto this platform and then do it over and over and over again until you get both cubes up that kind of stuff i think for me at least took me a while to really wrap my head around but it yeah. really does feel like the portal tagline of like now you're thinking with portals where like eventually <laughs> you start to think of all of these ideas that you can you can start to uh, mess with it's like oh yeah the idea of um you know launching yourself as a physics object through portals over and over and over again to build up speed you know until you then shoot the portal somewhere else and then you launch yourself out of it the entropy center and this this time mechanic really actually does have a whole suite of like similar ideas and and a, a whole bunch of like really interesting ways in which you can kind of fuck with that um and and create what is i think like a really brilliant puzzle game i've been really really impressed by it just like mechanically because i think that's the hardest thing to do when you're trying to make something yeah. that's reminiscent of portal is like come up with something as interesting and on top of that the gun is also a character that talks to you the gun is named astra uh with like a little smiley face who will talk to you and like encourage you and encourage your way through total inverse of glados to be clear um yeah he's like <laughs> 
encouraging <laughs> you as you make your way through all of these testing centers and is like fully aware that you're the only person left in the entry entropy center and is like just trying to keep you company essentially which is very nice very wholesome but also you're racing against the clock because the earth's going to explode and you are trying to make your way through this space uh and and prevent the earth from blowing up and that that's fun i would definitely recommend checking out the youtube video uh if, if you're interested in this game because the last thing that i did in that video is this like big set piece where the earth blows up and you need to figure out how to re reverse it using a giant version of the gun that you already have that is like so cool visually the music is great like it's really like this heart pounding like oh my god i'm the only person capable of reversing time and making sure that this doesn't happen because the earth when it blows up it is horrifying it is so yeah. scary it like cracks into a bunch of pieces and just turns into this like ball of fire falling out of space oh wow it's it's really scary but is also like fucking rad uh <laughs> i love it so you mentioned like affecting time for cubes mm -hmm. Can the gun also affect like moments in time? Like, are there more like abstract manipulations of time or is that maybe a spoiler? They do. Uh, so they, they make it pretty clear up front, like you shouldn't aim this at living things. Uh, you know, it can really only affect like objects, really. But the ways in which they, they mess around with like what objects are, I think is really smart. So there will be moments like you'll go and press a button to get an elevator to drop down. Uh, but the elevator like legitimately breaks uh, like it'll just like fly down the elevator shaft and then just like shatter into a billion pieces. And you can then point you know, get onto the broken pieces of the elevator, shoot the gun at it, and then use it to slowly make your way up all of the floors individually. And when you need to go down a floor, you literally just like unfreeze time and like careen down towards the bottom and try and shoot the gun before it collapses and you die. <laughs> um, things like that. That's awesome. There are, there are moments that remind me so much of Portal 2, uh, which I, I think is just high praise in itself, where, you know, you're on like a moving platform as the the entire entropy center is like collapsing in on itself and you're trying to shoot the gun to prevent like these giant concrete beams from wiping out the platform that you're on or things like uh, uh like circuit breaker boxes that are like you know shooting electricity onto a platform so you can't walk on it without like dying uh where you're like rewinding that circuit breaker to when it was fixed and like totally fine things like that they, they get really smart the environmental side of it and not just in like the actual test rooms like the actual like chambers where you're doing tests because i think i think that was one of the things again going back to that portal 2 problem of like just look for the one white wall and shoot that I liked traversing Aperture Science Center in that game, uh, and I loved the you know the lore and the story and all the all the uh, voice acting in that game was like really really superb. But it did feel a little bit like okay, I'm just walking through this space and enjoying this, and then I'm just trying to make my way towards the next test center or, or the next test chamber. This game does turn the actual traversal of the Entropy Center into puzzles in and of themselves, which I think is really smart, and I think I think it really yeah. elevates the entire game by allowing me to have these moments of like, well, there's this, you know giant jet of fire uh maybe i should like see if i can rewind the pipe or something uh to to uh fix it so it's not shooting fire out at me and preventing me from <laughs> traversing uh which is really great i've been really surprised by it honestly i was i i'll be totally honest i was a little bit like has i was a little bit hesitant to check it out initially i didn't think i would like it this much but as a person who really likes portal one and two this game really is hitting a lot of the same notes for me and does seem to be asking some interesting questions i kind of don't want to get into for spoiler reasons that uh is fascinating from like a narrative perspective as well and also the, all yeah. the voice acting is great having the protagonist be voiced i think is primo it's great 
Yeah, that, that's always hit or miss for me. I think it depends on what the game is going for. Yeah. But uh, like, I, I like that in Portal. I think there was enough chatty robots that I'm glad the protagonist wasn't also like, what am I doing here? Yeah. But, you know, it was like, yeah. uh, I think sometimes it, it can also really help not to keep going back to Three Houses. But I think in Three Hopes, having the protagonist's voice there actually did help aid the experience Absolutely. a little bit. Yeah. Shez. Shez. Yeah, that's definitely the case in Entropy Center. Um, being, a- being able to, you know, voice out like holy shit what's going on in the in the dialogue between both uh the protagonist and and astra the gun uh is really fun um yeah but they also have all the like great stuff that you would expect from a game like this that just has like weird goofy environmental storytelling stuff where like you can log into computers every once in a while and read like the emails of employees who used to work there like there was one instance that i read one about a person who snuck their cat onto the moon and the cat like ended (laughs) up in a test center and that's how they found out that the entropy gun doesn't work on living objects uh in like a real like nightmare way and they were like we told you not to bring your pets (laughs) you know like yeah oh nightmare um it's great it's a really fun game i'm really enjoying it um i am i want to say a couple hours in at this point i think it's also pretty short i think it's like you know six to seven hours something like that uh that's the entropy center the ideal length 10 hours tops yeah it's my new mantra every now and then i love a good like endless game but most of the time 10 to 30 hours i am really excited to get into red dead redemption 2 later this year i think (laughs) think that's gonna be exciting for me i am so curious to really play the endless video game that was like the jump scare of our text thread when you mentioned you're like i'm gonna stream all of that one day i'm like okay go for it <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm really curious what you think it's honestly it's a great game i find it to be i think you're gonna have even stronger of a vocabulary on what you like and don't like about open world games and i think red dead 2 provides both reasons <laughs> like i think that game does a lot of like just brilliant really incredible things with the open world genre and then also does things where like i think the classic like you can climb that mountain or you can do anything it's like i described that game as a dm who has chosen to follow every single rule of D, and that to me is like the best way to pitch that game mm. it's like you know you have to clean your gun and skin the animals you hunt and like at a certain point it's so much that the immersion breaks even because it's like there's a little bit of suspension of disbelief that actually is like required yeah you know i don't want to physically have to do everything Mm -hmm. especially when the game is like kind of already a larger than life story yeah but uh i I think i'm really curious what you think i I don't want to give you too much of my opinion before you play it yourself yeah uh well Look forward to that in December, dear listener, when I <laughs> check that game out uh, amidst goaty stuff. I have another game I want to talk about. Yeah, let's hear it. Speaking of uh, games going for very specific ideas and genres, I have been playing the full release of Harvestella, which is a game that you and I yes. talked about when uh, when it was just a Wii demo in September. And I remember saying this, and I want to bring it up again. What I said that one of my least favorite things about the demo was that it was coming out so early in comparison to the full release. And I do feel that still. I really wish that the demo had come out closer to release because I loaded up that game. It was like, we've imported your save. How cool is that? I said, oh, great. And uh, immediately didn't know how to play the game or what I was doing or uh, who any of the characters were or what had happened. (laughs) So... I just hit the reset button. I just deleted my save from the demo and started from scratch, uh, which I'm kind of glad I did uh, because I was able to recreate my character. But also knowing a little bit more about what levers to pull on in that game, I think was really helpful. So for those of you who don't know, uh, if this is your first episode, hello. Welcome. Hi. Incredible. Wow. (laughs) 
Oh, you're new. Oh, you're new oh, here. Come in, come in. Harvestella is a farm sim slash like JRPG dungeon crawler uh, by Square Enix. It's like part of this kind of new era of Square Enix, I think, that we're in where they are essentially giving money to smaller projects um, in the hopes that maybe some of them like blow up and become, you know, entire new franchises unto themselves. Things like Octopath Traveler, which was obviously a huge hit and is now getting a sequel that's coming like relatively soon within like. Yeah, like early next year, there's a lot of Square stuff happening in addition to Final Fantasy 16 and possibly yes, FF7 uh, remake uh, Rebirth. That sounds right. Re- remake part two. Yeah. Reimagined. Sid's back. I wonder if Sid is going to be in that one. We'll talk more about Sid later. Yeah. Anyway, Harvestella is this kind of like smaller project that yeah. had a demo in September. I played it. Uh, it was amidst all of this uh, kind of conversation about a, a Nintendo Direct that happened around that time. The like classic September Nintendo Direct that had a bunch of farm sims in it. And you and I had a long, lengthy discussion just about this idea of like there are a lot of developers trying to make farm sims right now. How are they yeah. differentiating themselves? What are they going after that that's going to make them stand out from the crowd? You know, because I I don't think that all of these developers are getting into it just to say like, oh, this is a thing that's popular and we love money. Like, I I think some (laughs) I do think that some of these developers are coming at it from a space of like, we have an interesting idea here and we're going to try and see it through. You know, it's really similar to what we just discussed on the Metroidvania bonus. We're Mm -hmm. like, I feel like every now and then there is a genre that is maybe made or made popular by sort of either Nintendo or bigger publishers. Yeah. And then they kind of move on and then there's this whole community that like wants more games like that yes which i feel like you know that's what happened super metroid symphony of the night you know then like those games just sort of stopped for a bit and then you got cave story and a wave of indie games that are all kind of putting their own spin on that style of game and i think stardew valley really it's the same kind of thing we're like yeah pre-stardew valley i mean you had a lot of the story of seasons games and rune factory and animal crossing but like in the mainstream there were only maybe a handful of games that like adhered to that style of like life sim game Mm -hmm. and i feel like in the last four years they've really blown up in popularity between stardew valley animal crossing new horizons i mean that was like a massive massive hit which like added farming yeah Yeah. right exactly so i think we're at a point now where it just like it's a really exciting new place to be i mean honestly even even though it's not farming i think i was a teenage exocolonist is doing really interesting things with a life sim style of story i think it i think it's a really nice mold to gamify what would be sort of more of a visual novel um i think it's like it's helpful to be okay like we want to tell this story that's largely narrative maybe character focused but like Mm -hmm. what is the verb of the game and being able to like be like well just life is the game (laughs) like (laughs) choosing what you do every day and kind of managing your stats like that is enough sometimes and i think farming sims and life sims there's so much to do and that was kind of our point of the conversation is like Mm -hmm. well yes there are plenty that might look derivative or maybe are there's also so much potential for this genre and clearly people are like excited to either make or experience it yeah and and as much as you and i love stardew valley and i think that kind of became the blueprint for what a lot of these uh developers are trying to do with with farm sims it it doesn't nail it on all cylinders you know stardew valley definitely has some rougher edges to it that i think need to be worked out and and for other developers to come in and say like 
hey, thank you so much for, you know, building this incredible foundation and we're, we'll take it from here. Like, it's actually an interesting thing for me because I, I love to see this stuff evolve. I love to see these genres evolve. Um, yeah. And what Harvestella is doing, as I mentioned in, in that previous episode, is pretty different than what I think a lot of these other games are doing. And it's one of the reasons that I think a lot of people were turned off by the demo because it's so focused on narrative and it's so focused on the dungeon crawling aspect and not really at all focused on the farming side of it. And there's like no relationship building or anything to speak of. You know, like I think people were coming into it and you and I were coming into it saying, hey, this is Square Enix making Rune Factory. And that's an interesting yeah. prospect by itself. Yeah, um, exactly. What I didn't really expect was it for was for it to be a more narrative focused thing. Thing. And playing that demo, I found that to be really refreshing. Honestly, I found that to be like a really kind of fresh take on this thing where it's like, no, we're actually trying to tell a really interesting story. And I, I'll be honest, there's some wild shit going on. I actually I, I think I tweeted about this <laughs> yesterday, but like there's a girl who uh, is clearly from the future who gets like sent back in time. There are a bunch of people who may or may not be cyborgs who are also <laughs> able to travel through time, one of which joins your party and you have to fight another one as a boss fight. And, and everyone calls them omens. And they're like, why are the omens fighting each other? What does this mean? There's like a strange order of priests who are obsessed with a giant crystal at the center of the earth. Like there's a lot of very classic Square Enix stuff happening in here. And amidst all of that, there is occasionally a line that goes like so fucking hard or there's a character who shows up who is just like nonsensical. I think I talked in the last one about a character who's just named Unicorn <laughs> who keeps screaming like witness me before he like jumps down and tries to fight you. I'm like totally obsessed with the unicorn. But all of that said, there's not a whole lot of farming in it. They just like teach you that you can farm. Like your reason for farming is uh, the whole idea of Harvestella is that there are the four seasons, the classic four seasons. And then there's a fifth season called Quietus, which is the season of death. And it's supposed to come in between all of the seasons, but for some reason has been happening abnormally at random times throughout the year. So every once in a while, oh, there will wow. just be like a day of Quietus. Uh, and everyone's like, well, shit, we have to just stay inside because if you go outside, you die um so that having been said uh everyone's trying to figure out like what's going on with that and you are found at the very beginning of the game you're found outside right after a day of quietus has happened and everyone is like how are you still living what the hell's going on here of course you've lost your memory etc etc but the doctor <laughs> sets you up like the doctor in town sets you up in a house and is like I don't really know what to say. I think you need to get your strength back. I think you just need something to do with your hands just to keep you active um, and like keep your mind working so you can eventually remember who you are. And essentially it's just like, I don't know, here's some farmland, go for it. And that's like <laughs> as much as you get in terms of setting up the farm. So, you know, absent that, the game really is about running into dungeons and continuing to move along with the story and meeting the characters like the Omens and the girl who came back in time and the unicorn and fighting bosses and whatever. And I think one of the big things about this game is that it doesn't put its best foot forward even in the combat. So if you play that demo, it's, you know, going to be like two or three hours of like not great combat, not much farming. You're not building up relationships with anybody. You're just getting essentially bombarded with like the most Square Enix story you can possibly get hit with. It's like <laughs> it's like almost a parody of itself at times. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. But the more you play and the more time you invest in the combat and in farming and in things like that, you'll start to level up and you'll start to unlock job points for the 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 job that you're starting as, which is a fighter, which allows you to just like have a sword and use like fire magic on, on enemies and stuff. And one of the first things you can unlock is the ability to dash. And suddenly it's like, oh, wow, the combat feels miles better as soon as I can like sidestep and dash around. And then you unlock the ability to become a mage and you can switch back and forth between a fighter and a mage at any point. So now you're doing 
doing, you know, kind of ranged elemental damage to these enemies that all have very like Octopath Traveler Pokemon kind of type uh, weaknesses. Uh, and you're starting to build up this repertoire of knowledge of like, OK, what kind of attacks work on these enemies and what don't. And the game becomes like a surprisingly competent and really good dungeon crawler. Separate from that, the farming gets really good, but it only, you know, only after the demo ends. And that's kind of one of the biggest bummers about this whole thing is like as soon as the demo ends, like where the demo ends is like you fight this boss and they're like, great, good job. Talk to you later in November when the game comes out. Um, <laughs> See you later if you have $40. Yes. Bye bye. Yeah. $60. 60 Oh, excuse me. It is full price, baby. It's full price, yeah. baby. Uh, what happens immediately like literally immediately after the demo is um, the girl who uh, traveled through time. You're and you're essentially saving her from this boss and uh, you bring her back to the house that you're at. And she's like, thank you so much for saving me. And then the screen turns black and then a big meter shows up. That's like relationship with this character. And it goes up one tick. And I was like, why would you not have that in the demo? <laughs> Give people that a was taste. like a main gripe. Yes. Yeah, for for so the, I, I didn't play much of the demo. I, I got like sidetracked. So I don't really have like a opinion about it yet. Yes. But I, I saw a lot of discussion and people were pretty divided. Like there was a lot of positive, but there was also like, I think you're right to point out that the game didn't really put its best foot forward, as you said. Yeah. So there's that, right? There's this relationship meter yeah. that pops up. So suddenly there goes everybody's complaint that there's no relationship building in the game. Following that, I started to realize that if you actually just invest a lot of time in far, because the game is really trying to push you into the dungeon to continue the story, which I think you should do at the top of the game just to like kind of get it out of the way. Because as soon as you finish those two chapters of the game, they're just like, now you can do whatever you want, which is what you and I just kind of assumed was going to happen. Um, yeah. But because the game is forcing you and railroading you so much down the narrative route in the demo, you kind of assume that's what the whole game is going to be. That's not the case at all. They do want it to be a life sim. They want it to be a farm sim. So as soon as that chapter is over, they're like, now you can just hang out in town. You can start picking up side quests. You can meet everybody in town. Uh, you can travel to other towns. Uh, you can you know, meet all these characters and they give you this kind of overarching quest. That is, there's like the one main crystal that runs the world, but then there are four other crystals <laughs> that each of these towns has kind of like set their life around. So one of them is the spring. They're called seas lights. One of them is called the spring seas light in the winter and the summer and the fall. That's fun. And you're yeah. traveling to all of them in any order you want. So you can then take on, you know, not only like do whatever you want on a day to day basis, but when it comes to the narrative, you can also tackle it in any order you want as well, which is honestly really cool. It sounds awesome. Yeah. And then they start investing in things like, hey, you can upgrade your house and you can get a kitchen so you can start to, you know, not only grow crops to sell, but you can grow crops to learn to cook. And that's when they start to then tie. This was a big complaint that you and I had. They start to tie in the dungeon crawling and the farming together, where when you're starting to cook, you're making meals that you can then eat out in the field, which will give you, you know, temporary boost to your strength and your magic and your, you know, uh, like ability recharge times and your stamina uh, and your health and things like that. And you can like heal your whole party by eating a sandwich that you made yourself in your own kitchen. Yeah. You can buy a book that teaches you how to fish and you can spend a whole day fishing and it that's great by itself. The how is the fishing? It's awesome. Fishing is always, that's always the like either the best or the worst part of any life sim. It's the fishing is always like the, the deal maker or the deal breaker. The thing I really like about the fishing in this game is that it's wildly simple. 
It's like, yeah, it's super that's simple. The, that's the move. It's yeah. very Animal Crossing in that uh, you just like cast your line out into the water. The the bobber thing like might kind of dip around a little bit. But as soon as it splashes, that's when you hit the A button and then you just reel it in. You're not like doing the mini game that you had to do in like, uh, I think it was Fire Emblem, but also like Stardew Valley where you're like keeping the fish in the meter yeah. and things like that. God, I love Stardew Valley, but I was traumatized because I chose the fishing farm my first oh playthrough. My God. I, thought, I thought it would be like not a and fun yeah and it was a nightmare whenever someone tells me and i i mean this out of love but whenever someone tells me that they like the fishing in stardew valley it's the same part of my brain that when i hear someone say they genuinely like malort i'm like you're lying you just want to sound cool like there's no way on earth that anyone actually likes malort or fishing in stardew valley yeah. <laughs> these are blatant lies that i'm going to call out every time i hear them malort and fishing in stardew valley are like things you need to do when you're there and, that, yeah. and that's it <laughs> <laughs> the the wizard is like, have you fished yet? Yeah. Buy a hat from the mouse and then go fishing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. So that's, uh, yeah, the fishing is great. And I, I'm now in this space where I've played up and passed through where the demo is. And I'm in this, like, I'm just kind of existing in the world phase. So I'm like getting to invest more time in making the farm kind of more feature rich. You can start to, you know, like plant trees that will... Uh, that will bloom and have like fruits every season, things like that. You can start to build very similar to Harvest Moon, you know, little machines that you can like load into load a bunch of ingredients into and get like new things out of, you know, start to like refine your ores and things like that, uh, which is great by itself. But also, as soon as the demo is done, you get access to all of these different dungeons that you can start making your way through to make it to the other towns that have the big seas like crystals there, which I assume are going to have like big kind of quests at each of them, which is very cool. But on top of that, you also have these little side quests where you're like helping the people in town do things or like there are these three kids who you like uh, have to like fight a boss to kind of save in their hideout early on in the demo and they're like recurring characters and, and they start to have like little internal strife between the three of them and one of them is like going home too early every day and everyone's like why is she so sad we need to get a gift for her and like that's a little side quest that you get to go do where you're just like helping people in town and the game becomes really charming and really great and I was already liking it from the demo just because it was doing its own thing but now that it's doing the thing that all of these games do I'm still enjoying it a lot because I know that they've nailed the stuff that makes it different and they're also nailing yeah. the stuff that makes it the same so i'm really getting the best of all worlds and it, i should just note it again presentationally this game is stunning looking it is so pretty the music it looks great on the switch as well it, like, it does look well. great on the switch yeah. yeah yeah um i will say in handheld mode it looks worse now than it did in the demo i wonder if there were some performance oh, issues that so they like kind of toned it down i might go steam deck because i don't have i don't have the blessed oled i might go steam deck for this one i would but, i would look know. it up first um i'm wondering if that's just a situation where like it, like is it is it the switch version or is it like the game you know uh, i'm not sure yeah um but docked on the switch it looks great so i'm having a really good cool. time with that i'll probably do that and the music and i mentioned this last episode and i'll mention it again it is like maybe some of my favorite music in any square enix game i am like so obsessed with every single song that plays in this game they're all great some of it sounds a little like near automata adjacent some of it sounds a little like harvest moon adjacent i mean they're like really going after a lot of different things i i just really am loving harvestella i kind of knew that i was going to like it a lot i didn't think that i was going to be like oh i would drop everything and just play this for a while um because <laughs> it it really is giving me everything i want i love 
love all the characters. I'm excited to find out like how I'm building relationship meters with people. As the farm has grown, it's gotten more interesting. Uh, I just bought a big animal that I can ride around in the overworld to get me around faster, which is really fun because a- anytime you leave your farm, uh, it takes you into this overworld where you have to like decide where to run to and you can like head over to the main town or you can like head into any of the dungeons. But time passes as you're doing that. So you need to like be quick about it so you can buy an animal from this shop that will like allow you to run around the overworld faster i hated that that sentence was like the like defeating blow of me having to buy this the minute we're done recording <laughs> like you had already sold me on it but i'm like now it's urgent so yeah. I, i'm just picturing riding around that like flying bear from oracle of seasons and it's I'm like, it's yes, like a yes, it's a yes. big rabbit with with uh, red horns <laughs> so fucking cool yeah i love strong herbivores so let's do it (laughs) and i'm getting to the point now where they've like unlocked a bunch of new vendors in the town and stuff that will allow me to like upgrade various pieces of my farm and like get a pen so i can start to raise animals and things like that like they're really playing all the hits but it's really working for me and they've also kind of seeded some stuff very metroidvania adjacent they've seeded some stuff around some of the dungeons i've done that have kind of alluded to future abilities that i can get like big crystals that are blocking paths that i need bombs to blow my way through i don't know how to build bombs yet so i haven't done that but i imagine i'll get there eventually so then i can go revisit the dungeons that i've already completed things like that i mean they're really they're really doing everything that i was hoping for and more you had mentioned in our previous episode talking about this that it reminded you of our conversation about apex legends which was like hey fortnite and PUBG are these big things but when is you know the triple a company that's known for making first person shooters going to get into this space and make one and that's what apex legends was that is kind of how i feel about our Vistella at this point is like Square Enix giving any amount of money to making a life sim and a farm sim like this has really worked out for me. I've, I've been really blown away by it. It's a little bittersweet because I feel like Rune Factory 5, like you could tell that that game could have been yeah. a big hit. It should have been this. get the time or budget. Exactly. Yeah. But I am glad to hear that that team is like making something new in the future. So like, I'm curious, we'll see what happens with that. I mean, it's that wasn't even like a vague. This game is in the works. It's just like we're going to do something else yeah was the announcement. a new game um, in the rune factory franchise is what they said but not like rune factory 6 it was like a yeah. different thing um and i'm wondering if that means like they have to change the scope of what it is i'm i'm, I'm curious but that having been said like harvestella is doing different stuff than rune factory like yeah. rune factory is mostly focused on farming and building relationships with people in town and getting to know everybody like the ins and outs of everybody's uh daily habits and chores and where they work and like frequenting those shops and things like that in the same way kind of harvest moon was harvestella really does have this kind of like narrative overlay on top of yeah, everything more more final fantasy yeah, yeah which uh for me is working really well uh and for you i think will work spectacularly yeah i think um I think this is going to be something I enjoy. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I, I was initially hesitant because like, well, I didn't play a ton of the demo. I wasn't sure about it. Like I just, I was kind of felt ambiguous about it. I'm like, there's enough coming out that I'm not sure if I'm going to prioritize this anymore. Yeah. But uh, you sold me. Yeah. So. Maybe I'll report back once I start playing it. Yeah, please do. I'll just say what, one of the things that I think it took me a little while to lock into and, and just uh, some some recommendations I'll make for for you and for uh, the dear listener if they end up picking this up. A, c- a couple quick things. First of all, buy the book that teaches you how to fish as quickly as you can, because uh, it's great. It's a great source of income as well early on in the game just to be able to like there there is a fishing spot like at the farm that you can use. So you could just really mine that until you run out of stamina. So that's great. Number two, I'll, just, I'll, I'll say when you're dungeon 
dungeon crawling, they will eventually unlock the ability to fast travel between these like big green kind of orb crystal things that are also save points. You can really what I would recommend doing is like go into a dungeon especially that first one that they that is like the main like narrative one they kind of uh, shuttle you through when you're doing that one you can start to unlock shortcuts between places so like ladders that you can repair that will get you from point a to point b don't just try and rush from save point to save point like from fast travel point to fast travel point just make sure that you're unlocking as many of those shortcuts as you can because when you end up like needing to go back home or whatever at the end of the day because you've run out of stamina or health or like healing items or whatever like that being able to just run up all those shortcuts will get you to that next fast travel point really fast my biggest problem i think early on in the demo was just assuming that i would be undoing all the progress i had made if i didn't push through to that next fast travel point and then that's when you end up like dying and needing to actually like restart so just a heads up there. Those are my hot tips for Harvestella. Hell yeah. Well, I'm really excited to play it. It sounds wonderful. It is great. I'll probably make a video about it before this episode yeah, is out. You so should. It, uh, check out the YouTube and, and see. Because I what, what I specifically want to do is I want to make a video about like post demo stuff um, and just show off like the actual day to day life sim of it all. Because I think it's really yeah, I don't annoying. think the demo helped that game at all. Really. No. <laughs> Which we were talking about off the show. Like I do like that a lot of Square Enix games are the like play the first x hours and that will yeah. carry over into the game and sometimes that works wonderfully like dragon quest 11 i think really benefited from that because that game opens in such a charming way mm-hmm. and like you know you'll get a really good sense of like how that game is going to feel and then decide if it's for you or not yeah but then every now and then it's like maybe that opening isn't like the thing to broadcast especially i mean like square enix games are infamous for having like bad openings you know i mean every every jrpg i shouldn't say bad openings but like a lot of jrpgs take like a couple hours to like begin yes you know like it's it like a game that i love like xenoblade chronicles 3 like you won't really know what combat is going to feel like until you've done the prologue which mm-hmm. is probably the first like five or six hours yeah um so you know it's, it's interesting sometimes demos like i remember back in the ps1 days when there were only three good video games um there was a demo <laughs> disc uh that i had that like had a bunch like sometimes it would be the first level of a game yeah or sometimes i remember the demo for final fantasy 8 this is like a big blast in the past but the demo for final fantasy 8 was essentially like just the ending of like the third mission in the game which i think was actually a good move yeah it just showed you like here's like a high stakes moment you know because that game begins with squall having a headache and needing to go to detention yeah so like <laughs> <laughs> don't give us that give us like using leviathan to fight a big robot that's a much better pitch <laughs> than squall being like ow my head yeah anyway so there is a demo for this yeah. game you can download it for free and play it uh and then you can pick up wherever uh you leave off with your save so i i would recommend doing that if if you're out there dear listener and you're like you don't want to just totally take a chance on it at least get to the point in the demo where you're unlocking like new abilities for your fighter job class so you can start to dash around because as soon as you unlock the dash it's like oh wow this game's combat actually does feel good it doesn't feel sluggish and weird (laughs) and bad and half-baked um it's actually really interesting and uh You'll know from there. I think your video too will be really helpful to see the post demo stuff. So I feel like that might be a good combination of like play the demo, maybe check out your video and then make your decision from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the move. Yeah. Anyway, that's Harvestella. You want to take a break and then we'll come back and talk about a couple more things before we wrap up. Sounds good to me. All right. See you next season. I hope it's not the season of death. (laughs) Quietus is coming. Bye bye. See ya. Steven. Hello. 
I just bought Perfect Tides. Oh, nice. I'm really happy. I think you're going to have a great time with it. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to download it on my Macintosh computer. Uh, I have a different game that I've been playing on my Macintosh computer that I want to talk about, but also on iOS. Uh, and I think it is also on Steam as well, if you want to play it on the Steam Deck. But I've been playing this game uh, that launched at least on iOS last week called Isle of Arrows that I want to shout out pretty quickly. The way I made a video about this and the way I described it in that was um, a tower defense roguelike dwarf romantic. Uh, <laughs> is the idea or a strand game it's a strand game it's the yeah. second ever strand game. it's the second strand game which i i know is just like a collection of buzzwords and whatever uh and, and maybe you're not, not wrong though i also played a bit of this game not as much as you but when you made a video about it i downloaded it on my oh yeah on my iphone so i think that's a pretty apt description honestly yeah so okay the way it works and and I, I i love it because of its simplicity it's also become like whenever i'm on the subway it's the game i'm playing because i can't play marvel snap on the subway without an internet connection so i gotta play something or else what am i doing on the subway <laughs> what the hell? i was supposed to sit here with my thoughts no way yeah, Howie. absolutely yeah. not anyway this has become my subway game so the, the way it works is uh you're given just kind of like an island with uh like a defense point uh very classic like if you've played uh balloons for example which is i think maybe like the most popular tower defense franchise out there uh maybe i'm wrong about that but that's the one i always associate with it which is the one where you like place a bunch of monkeys who throw darts at balloons and you just need to pop all the balloons before oh they, my god before I they hit the you just reminded me of that game yeah sorry yeah. that just i don't know why that blew my mind but it did. there is a great one on apple arcade that i would recommend if, if you cool. have if you like have your mind blown remembering balloons uh i think i think i think <laughs> balloons like five or six is on apple arcade and it's awesome um, Here we go. Anyway, very similar to that, uh, where you have a point that you need to defend and you just need to make sure that the enemy units don't reach that point. And you're doing that yeah. by placing a bunch of tiles and placing a bunch of um, different different towers, again, tower defense, uh, that will attack those uh, enemies in different ways. And the enemies have different abilities, things like some of them having a ton of health or some of them run much faster or some of them have shields that can block against certain kinds of attacks, things like that. But where the Dorf Romantic and the roguelike of it all comes in is this random element of you don't know what tiles you're going to get and have access to be able to place down. So it's not just a situation like in balloons, for example, where you're just accumulating money and then you can spend them on a set idea or like a set uh, number of different towers. And you're just like working your way up and getting more and more money so you can place like more and more effective units down um, and then upgrading those units and things like that. This game is more about space management is like the island, the Isle of Arrows, the island that you're trying to put all of these units on has a limited amount of space and you need to maximize with that space. How long are you making the path that the enemy units are going to need to go down? What kind of uh, what kind of towers are you putting down and where are you putting them down? There are other tiles, things like, uh, you know, a garden that's like a one by one tile. And when you put that down, it just like gives you money or another one that's like a, a fishing spot where it needs to be adjacent to a bunch of uh, water tiles. And that will also generate income or different kinds of uh, equipment that you can use, things like that. But you're given every single wave of this combat you're given one of those tiles that you can then choose what to do with, or you could just skip it entirely, which I have found has become like maybe the most effective strategy is being like, I actually just can't use this. I can't place this. It would only muddy my strategy here. I think it's going to make things worse. I'm just going to pass on it. Yeah. Or you can spend two gold to get a different one. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that, that's yeah. the other like give and take of this is you can continue to skip waves over and over and over again and accumulate enough money where then you can skip ahead in the actual like 
deck of cards that they're giving you or the deck of tiles that they're giving you and say, like, I'm just going to keep pressing this spend two dollars to buy. Not actually two dollars, to be clear. This is you, you. This is a game that you buy once and then you don't have any microtransactions or anything. I'm talking about in-game currency. I'm talking gold yeah. here, dear listener. And now Marvel snap gold. This is this is purely <laughs> fake gold, all purely right? circular JPEG gold. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, you could just continue to press the like spend two gold to see what the next tile is going to be button if you want to until you get like a thing that you're specifically looking for, whether that be a tower that will attack the enemies or maybe you do really need like a garden tile to put down to like surround a thing because if you surround a thing in garden tiles, you get a buff or whatever. So that by itself, I think is really cool. Um, I made a video about this that's on our YouTube. You can check it out. That is just the training area. It's like just the first zone. Um, which I thought was really cool. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of strategy and there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in this game. Not realizing that the training area is a very easy and B barely scratching the surface of what's happening in this game. Because as soon as you make it through the training area, they unlock the first, like, I guess I like basic campaign. So they have, they have a bunch of, they're called guilds. They have a bunch of different guilds in the game. So you can start to play the campaign as the founders and the founders will gain uh, health back every time you finish 10 waves. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you can finish 10 waves, you regain your health. That's great. But they also have ones like architects, which don't have access to the item that makes your actual island bigger. So you can't actually like expand the space. But every single time you finish a wave, you get a bridge and the bridge allows you to take a tile and place it off of the side of the actual island itself. So you need to be managing, like, I need to skip a couple waves if I'm going to be able to build the path far enough to allow it to, you know, get hit by this tower that I placed wherever ago. Yeah. But uh, it's really about resource management, which is, I think, really fascinating. Um, So they have this, they have this like campaign. And as you continue to beat the campaigns with all of the different guilds that they have on offer, you start to unlock also more kinds of tiles um so they'll add like new towers and new ideas and new like buffs and random things that you can get into the pool of possibilities so every time you play the game it's going to start to get different in more interesting ways that are going to start to challenge what you consider to be your like basic strategy at the game over time which is i think really cool and really great and they have uh, four campaigns in the game at the moment at least as far as i know but they also have a daily challenge which i'm very interested in and have not done yet um but as a person who is playing the show night dig daily challenge literally every single day i am interested but also wary of joining another daily challenge leaderboard (laughs) Uh, but i've been playing this game enough it's great on mobile to be clear like i've been playing this uh, a lot on on my computer but i on mobile it's really great especially if you like have you know frazier or something on tv and you're like (laughs) i just need to be like playing something uh, i gotta point out this is not the first time frazier has been referenced as like the patron saint of background noise which yeah. is so funny to me it really like you have sold me on frazier as like <laughs> the doing something else show it's amazing hey uh it's a great tv show i'm on season four <laughs> i'm having a great time with it been watching literally every episode not a not a skip in uh, those first four seasons. Really good. Nice. Anyway, Isle of Arrows is a great uh, Frasier game. <laughs> and I would recommend checking it out. A crane-like? It's, yeah. a, it's a crane-like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes it's right in front of you. You just have to go for it. What episode is it? This is 212? Yeah. So does that mean it's been 210 episodes since we had an episode title that referenced Frasier? It is. So I think it's time. I think we can do it. Yeah, I, th- I think we can come back. Frasier in the Void. That was an early one. Frasier in the Void. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, because you, you mentioned watching Frasier in VR. 
the, it was yeah. the Hulu app. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which so that, to, to Frazier's credit, watching Frazier in VR is the opposite of background noise. You are committed to that viewing. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do anything you're except in sit in your big fake movie theater. Yeah, you're in Crane's domain with that helmet on. <laughs> yeah. Why don't they let you, uh, let me watch Frasier in <laughs> Frasier's apartment. Yeah. <laughs> or what? It's like the that Frasier. That guy doesn't have a TV. That's why. That's why you can't do it. Because there's no way Frasier Crane would allow a television in his apartment. I do like the connection, too, to this Twitter account that is just Frasier looking at game art yes. and backgrounds. I love that one. There's something in the air with Frasier and, and video games that we need to further decipher. Very much. Uh, Frasier also just got renewed. I don't know if you've heard that. They, they like, was it last week, announced that they're bringing Frasier back. And the people who were writing a Twitter account that was like, Frasier but modern day twitter account that was just like fake ideas for pitches for episodes like if they're making <laughs> fraser now literally got hired to write fraser in the modern day oh my god which i'm we'll see how that is. legitimately excited about yeah yeah i will see i have i have no uh <laughs> thoughts or feelings on that currently but, well you know. know watch watch seasons one yeah, let me get, get invested and play isle of arrows while you're at it why not yeah, I going back to Isle of Arrows, I think so this shares some of the team with Laura Croft Go and those games, correct? Yeah, yeah. The uh lead designer of this game was also the the director of Lara Croft and Hitman Go specifically. They they feature a similar kind of minimalist look to yeah. it. Um and I think there's also like a bit you, you mentioned Dorf Romantic, and I think it's that's, that's so apt because I think what I like about I've only played the training area so far of Isle of Arrows, mm -hmm. but I like that it's not just like the tower defense is is a, is a part of it. It, yeah. But it's actually ab about creating this cohesive space and also, like you said, resource management. And yeah. there is a bit of a puzzle idea there as well, where it's like you want to think ahead one move and play strategically and make sure it all fits. And, yeah. you know, I've gotten into this place now where I'm placing path tiles that are separate from the actual path that the that the uh, enemies are like marching down. So I can eventually work my way towards there. Like I, I'm literally putting path tiles down as like in four or five waves. I want to get to the point where I'm connecting the path to this, which is that was like the big brain blast moment for me, um, especially because I every once in a while you'll get what are just called like bonuses or boons, um, which is just like they'll give you three random options that should hopefully be helpful. And one of them is that they'll fill in any one space gap between path tiles. Um, so they're actually like encouraging you to start doing that as well, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it's an awesome game. I'm excited to play more of it and finally get into that show everyone's talking about. Yeah. Uh, hey. Baby, I hear the blues are calling. <laughs> Toss salads and scrambled eggs. On that note, do you want to wrap up? Sure. Or do we have, yeah, why don't we, oh, we want to talk about Marvel Snap a little bit more, right? I would, I, yeah, yeah, we could, we could bury it at the end here. I was just curious kind of how you're feeling about it because you've been gone for a little bit uh, since it came out and, and, and you, again, uh, notoriously also, like me, had a big Hearthstone phase. So I'm just curious, uh, were you playing a lot of Marvel Snap while you were gone? I really like it. I think... Having played more of it and learned more about like the progression of it, I do feel a little better. Like I think the monetization still has some pretty big issues, but I think like in terms of one's ability to like get new cards and like, you know, I, I think what I love about this game is whenever I get a new card, I immediately have a new idea for a deck. Yeah. And I feel like I can at least make it work, even if I don't have like all the right pieces. Because mm -hmm. I found that the trick of this game is because it's six turns, because you have a deck of 12 cards, I think early on you're going to make decks with a magic mindset that are like, you know, building up to some final play. Whereas like you kind of want a deck that will work in a variety of ways it's like okay what is like yeah. sort of the best value for this turn right you, you can't know? always rely on just one card to make your deck work 
Exactly. Because I feel like a lot of the early, like, because everyone's getting similar cards at a certain track, I feel like a lot of the early deck synergies you'll see are, like, destroy decks, where, like, Mm -hmm. a card like Carnage can, he'll destroy all friendly cards on that tile and get plus two for each card destroyed. Yeah. And there are a lot of other cards that are, like, sort of like you know spawn a bunch of, like squirrel girl puts a one one squirrel on each tile uh, or nova when it dies it gives everything plus two so suddenly it's like, oh i have all these ideas but then like sometimes you'll like i'm far enough along the collection level now that i i literally made a deck called slime time live that's just all about <laughs> it's, it's all like because i got i got the card hazmat which makes every card minus one and i also have scorpion which makes every card in the opponent's hand minus two and i'm like there's not even a strategy here this is just like gross so i just like put all the grossest cards i have in one deck and it's like it's not doing well at all but it's so funny (laughs) it's just fun to play Yeah. yeah and that's like i think that's the the game is like it's always fun you know, I think yeah. they've really succeeded at like what is the core design of this game. I think it really <laughs> is a breath of fresh air for like card games in general. Yeah. And I I've really enjoyed like the two decks that I use constantly. I have one move deck, which is like cards that can move from one location to another. And that's like my best deck. I feel pretty good about it. Mm-hmm. I think there are like some you know, there are cards like Cloak and Heimdall. I got a really cool variant uh for Heimdall that I unlocked, mm. which I was happy about. But I have like the cards that you like see online but I have enough of my own spin on it that I feel like comfortable with it and I know like what to do with it. Yeah. And I feel like with move decks, I, I like them because they're I can adapt to the locations a little bit more easily mm. than other decks. And I have another deck called Chaotic Good that's all about, it's a little bit controlly, but it's all about drawing cards and like cards that, are powered up by playing cards so like bishop angela and and devil dinosaur that deck also does very well so those are my two like main decks and slime time live i think i actually might have deleted it this morning but i might make it again (laughs) because it's just so funny so i mean it's a fantastic game i think like there's always part of me that's like i'm almost like guarded where i'm like when is this gonna have like when is this gonna feel like it's like eating too much of my time or trying to get me to spend money? I think the money thing I'm not really worried about because I th- I feel like you know I I don't really feel a huge like some of the variants are really cool but like they're also kind of expensive so I'm never like gonna make an impulse purchase. They are pretty expensive. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, one of the things that I I want to shout out again just because I have been playing the beta for a long time. When I was in the beta for months, I wasn't able to buy anything. Like the shop existed, and technically, if you were in other parts of the world, or I think if you were on android you could buy stuff but i was in the ios beta so you couldn't actually buy anything just playing the game as a free-to-play player never buying the season passes as they were happening or whatever i found that i was still unlocking cards and being able to upgrade stuff at a pretty good clip i do know where people are at right now because i've been listening to a lot of podcasts because this game like really has blown up like pretty tremendously and i've been listening to a lot of podcasts where people on those shows are talking about like oh i started running out of credits so like i couldn't start upgrading things enough and i know where you're at and the reason that that's happening is because you're playing the game so much yeah (laughs) like if you're playing the game so which i did the exact same thing right when the game came out and then i started to kind of balance into what i would consider to be a more healthy play style which is like i'll check in like maybe once a day or once every two days and like play through all the missions that i have unlocked or just focus 
focus specifically on whatever the season missions are. And that will usually give me enough credits to like unlock a card or two or like, sorry, upgrade yeah. a card or two and like maybe work my way towards unlocking another card. Things like that. You'll start to it'll start to fit into your life in a way that is not just like I am playing this literally in every free moment I, I have. Even though that's what the game fits into, I don't think it behooves you to play it that way uh, because then you, you will start to bump up against the credit limit. And that's when you start to get into the questions of like, oh, should I start spending money on this game? It was really helpful for me to literally not even have the ability to spend money on it for a while because I started to realize how balanced it was as a free to play player, um, which is a nice place to be. It's kind of the opposite of a lot of mobile games. Like a lot of mobile games want you to play all the time and like have like, you know, sign in rewards and all. And they have a version of that here. But I feel like you're right. You actually do get more out of it if you take big breaks from it. Yeah, because then you (laughs) come back and you have, you know, you know, six daily missions available. And when you knock all of those out, like you have more than enough credits to start unlocking stuff or especially like at least the time this episode comes out will be in a new season as well. Um, and every time there's a new season, there's like a bunch of new cards to unlock and a bunch of new season challenges that you can start to do, which will all start to unlock credits and gold and things like that. So I, I feel like at the beginning of a month, every month, you start to get this like influx of all the in-game currencies again without really spending anything. Um, again, you can buy the season pass, but like you don't need to because they're pretty generous on the free track on that as well. Yeah, I agree. I spent money on the battle pass and the welcome pack. That was like two bucks. And I that's like pretty good yeah. for me. That's what I did too. Um, I will yeah. probably like to be totally honest i love this game enough and i think it's fun enough that i probably will keep up with the battle passes like i'll probably buy them every season yeah i can see that too yeah which is truly like one of the first times ever that i've wanted to do that for any video game (laughs) i find i find battle passes to be generally like pretty rough and this one i think is like it's generous enough and i think the game is fun enough um that i'm interested in whatever like the big card that the rolling out is i should also mention what like uh miles morales was the big card in in the season that just ended um yeah and that card will get added into the pool of random cards you can unlock in like another month i think i think it's i think it's two months after a season ends whatever cards were unlockable in that season get added to the pool of things you can unlock um so just because you missed miles morales for example like if you're just downloading the game right now now uh doesn't mean you've like missed out on your chance to get miles forever uh which is i think great so some of the older cards from like some of the previous beta seasons are starting to get added into the pools now which i'm really excited about because i again wasn't able to buy them so i didn't get any of them so like wave who i think is a cool card and uh and like nick fury and stuff I'm excited to check out that's awesome i also i think the biggest addition that's on the horizon that i can't wait for is being able to play with friends yeah. that's gonna be huge and someone in the discord mentioned maybe doing like a tournament uh in the discord, to which would be a lot of fun yeah oh my so I don't I'm know what deck a- I'd bring into that. I have so many decks. Yeah, I would I would love to compete and and get humbled and destroyed. Um <laughs> like I did on my birthday party. I on my uh my birthday in 2018 uh shortly after <laughs> smash brothers ultimate came out i held a tournament oh yes um at my house which was honestly pretty well attended there were at least like two dozen people there i got second place as king to dd mm. but i have to say I, I i have i have matured since then throwing a birthday party where i make everyone challenge me and i play king to dd is maybe <laughs> maybe a little unhinged uh but it was certainly a blast yeah that's so funny also, um, a, a mutual friend of ours was there and like for whatever reason i didn't see him and i was oh did you compete and he's like yeah i got pretty far like what <laughs> are you trying to play like mind games with me like oh oh nice to see you like are you new here um <laughs> anyway very i i would love to do that again uh we also have some mutual friends that are especially good at smash that would be fun to do but i haven't yeah. played smash in so long anyway anyway marvel snap 
Marvel playing Snap. with friends. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah, they've they've announced a couple of things that they're working on, and that's one of them. Uh, and I'm excited about it. And I'm hoping I'm also really hoping that they fix the um, the like Steam version. Like if you're playing on PC, because right now it's like very clearly that it's just the iPad version. They have like these big bezels on the side that are just space. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is very funny. I'm hoping they have kind of a more like Hearthstone interactable game board or something. That'd be cool. They did just I, roll I'll- out uh, titles. They added titles to Marvel Snap. They're things that you can unlock uh, when you get further into the collecting level um you can start to unlock titles like in in the same boxes that you might get cards from and stuff i've only yeah. gotten two of them so far but one of them i got was uh but not the real one so so it's like <laughs> it'll say my, my username but not the real one the one that i'm i'm rolling with right now is my child is an honor student which i don't know why that's one of them but i love it that's so, amazing uh that's that's what i got marvel snap it's good marvel snap it, ultimately i think you said this, I think, with Chris last week, but like the game itself is just very fun. And yeah. that's kind of, I think, the thing that has made it so successful and the thing that makes the other parts of it not really as a big of a deal because it's just fun to play it. Yeah. So I, I, I really am impressed by it still. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, I, I should also mention I've been doing some streams of Marvel Snap, which are, again, available on our YouTube uh, if you want to head over there. I've been backing them up. Uh, I think they're unlisted videos, but you can go to the stream archives playlist and find them there. Um, oh, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we wanted to talk about on this episode. Do we want to announce our bonus for this month? Oh, yeah. It's time. It's time. So uh, I want to I want to shout out uh, the diligent listeners. Someone in the discord like I. So last time I was on two weeks ago, I mentioned that the bonus for this month was going to be a game that we had mentioned in that episode. Yes. Because I, I think that was an especially referential episode. They wrote down every game we mentioned and there was this I, I saw some people guessing and stuff. No one guessed it of that list. It seems like one of the more obvious ones. Yeah, there are some guesses for games that I think we will probably eventually do a bonus for. But for this month, the last bonus of 2022, because next month is going to yeah. be Goaty. To be clear, well, let, let me just back up for a second. One of the things that we've been saying about specifically this year of bonuses is that we wanted to play games that have been considered the best games of all time. That was like kind of kind of our North Star a little bit this year, which means next year we get to play the worst games of all time as our bonuses, which I'm really looking at. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I do think it's worth mentioning that uh, there is like one one like huge outlier here in terms of games that we haven't done bonuses about. And I'm, I'm looking at the big list of everything that's written down at the moment. And there are some interesting and compelling ideas for what could be a game of, the, or sorry, one of the best games of all time that are written down on this big long list. But one of them stands head and shoulders above all of them, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, with that, I'm going to announce what we're doing this month. Yes. So this month's bonus is going to be Final Fantasy VII. I am very excited. The original Final Fantasy VII. Uh, we do already have, it's not a bonus, but we have two episodes about the remake. If you want discussion on that, I imagine we will be talking about the remake just by comparison a lot too, yeah. especially now with like uh, the Crisis Core remake and the next part of the remake on the horizon, whether that gets delayed or not, that will be like coming out in the near future mm-hmm. in the next year or so. Mm-hmm. So I think it's actually the perfect time to go back to the original and play it because you've you've played the Midgar section yes. of the original. Yeah, we have brought the original to the show a couple times. Yeah. I think twice also. Um yeah. once was you were replaying it as you were wont to do, and, and one of them was <laughs> I, I jump scared you with my own uh, you did. starting to play it. And it was right when I had finished the Midgar sequence. 
uh, which yeah, is and that know, was, about six hours. That was a really fun time because that was pre three houses, I think. So you weren't really like into you were still trying to find what JRPGs worked for you. And now you're pitching Harvestella to me, which is very funny. <laughs> and and you really resonated with it. And I think FF7 is like for all the parts of it that haven't aged gracefully, it is still such a unique game, mm. even when talking about like retro RPGs, because I think it being like the first 3D Final Fantasy, I think makes it really interesting aesthetically. Yeah. And also like, I think there's a reason why that game, you know, of all the Final Fantasies that is, I, I would say the most popular other than maybe 14, which I think has become like a modern hit. But like, I mean, the impact FF7 has had is unparalleled in terms of like the characters it has inspired. I was going to say, even just like the Cloud and Sephiroth archetypes as heroes and villains has been parroted a billion times and back. The whole cast, really. I mean, there's so many, you know, there there are Cloud-like protagonists at this point. Even in future Final Fantasy games, they're like clearly trying to make Cloud again. (laughs) Like Squall. Um, And that is a game I've mentioned many times, but in case, you know, you haven't heard me say this, like FF7, everyone has the game that like if if you are someone who like admires games and and they're a part of your life everyone has had the game that proved that they can be works of art mm. that, they're, that they can be at least like storytelling devices past something that feels more akin to a toy and there's nothing wrong with games that are just purely for fun like i love mario i think some mario games like some of the best games of all time but you know they're a different experience where they're meant to be fun and inspiring and they're kind of creative and weird in their own way Mm -hmm. but you know when i played ff7 as a kid i mean i was nine when i played that it completely blew my mind i feel like i had what a lot of people say they had with star wars with ff7 Mm -hmm. where i was like not even just what games can do but like what fiction can do you know and and not to say that it's like the best story of all time but i just think like especially in terms of genre that was the first time i had played a game or seen a piece of media that was fantasy but not like medieval you know it was this like modern setting that kind of reminded me of where i lived i mean there's like a little bit of jersey in midgar you know like absolutely i feel like midgar unfortunately is a very relatable setting mm-hmm. you know if you grew up i mean anywhere really but especially the u.s i think and i especially specifically like- was i was driving around recently um and i was driving back from the city and into new jersey to go visit my parents and was driving by the meadowlands which is this like kind of big essentially just swamp uh, in Jersey, which yeah. is where like Giant Stadium is and uh, the American Dream Mall, which you might know as the new biggest mall in America, things like that. But it's also kind of just on the precipice of this huge industrial space with all of these reactors just shooting plumes of like smoke and fumes into the air and was just like man, this is Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I was like, that is, I'm just staring at Mako reactors as I'm stuck in traffic on the highway through the swamp, yep. which is like... Time to join Avalanche. Remarkable, yeah. FF7, I think I have played to completion at least 14 times uh, in my entire life. This is a game that like for middle school and high school and college, I would just restart basically like every year and mm-hmm. at least, maybe not beat it every time, but I would play like at least the first half or like the first two thirds of it. And it's something that is that in Ocarina of Time, I would just kind of go back to annually yeah, for a really long time. And, and honestly, like then I took a bit of a break and I didn't really play it again until doing this show. And I think like it is impossible for me to remove my nostalgia from that game. But I do think that there's genuinely so much to discuss there. 
and I think it's going to be a really great time because I also I I haven't like played all of it in a long time. So I was telling you this off the show, but there's like a whole middle act of FF7 that is not really discussed to the length that like the beginning and Midgar is and the like showdown with Sephiroth is. There's a whole weird ass second disc that is like the the lost years of FF7. I'm excited to get there. And so that's going to be the bonus. And for the patron bonus, we're doing something similar that we did with God of War where the patron bonus is kind of like a companion piece. For the patron bonus, we will be watching the film advent children and recording essentially like a commentary track over it yeah so so you too can watch final fantasy 7 advent children with us with us (laughs) yeah exactly uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I have not watched that film. I, as as big of an FF7 fan as I am, I have not watched Evan Children. I'm honestly a little bit scared. But I think <laughs> my fear is subsided by the fact that the remake was good. So it's like I can watch whatever the hell this was yeah. and kind of like just let it. Uh-huh. I'm sure I'm going to like it. I'm sure I'm going to have a great time. Well, but we'll see. <laughs> Uh, my only interaction with Final Fantasy 7 before Remake came out was uh, Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 and Advent Children, which I rec- I rented from our like town library uh, when it came out <laughs> on probably VHS or maybe DVD. Uh, and yeah. was like, I know who these characters are and was like, I have no idea what I just watched. And I'm so excited to watch it again with context. Yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. It seems like it's a, and that's the thing. I feel like for the longest time, the idea of an FF7 remake, I didn't trust anyone at Square Enix to like know what made the original great. You know, and maybe mm-hmm. that was unfair because it ended up being fantastic. And I think while you can critique a lot of things about the remake, I certainly have. They really nailed the setting and the characters, which I think is like those are the two most important things about that game. It's like, did you get Midgar right and did you get the core cast right and honestly in many ways I think the remake has further developed those characters in ways that I think have benefited the cast Mm. and have kind of proven like there's a reason why these characters have been popular for so long and it was really nice to see even more sides to them in the remake one thing that I especially liked was the friendship between Tifa and Aerith in the remake that is not really as present in the original like I feel like the original is like they never pit them against each other but there is this kind of gross feeling that like the game's like who do you want to be with you know whereas in the remake they're just like in the cast and they have their own relationships with other people Mm -hmm. you know it's not like all about who is connected to cloud even though there is like whispers of a love triangle yeah and that's i think a conversation we'll have throughout that episode is like comparing it to the remix i think they really do exist alongside each other in an interesting way right yeah the remake didn't replace the original etc cetera, etc cetera. exactly but I, I feel like we can't say more without spoiling the remake so that's true um i will be playing it on switch i will say if you want to play the original and you haven't played it the switch port is excellent it's basically the same as the ps1 game but there are some nice features like you can speed things up by uh, three times and other other little tweaks that make it a little bit easier to get into. Yeah, I've been using the uh, full limit break and unlimited health <laughs> button uh, to fly through the Midgar section this time around because I've already done it. But I wanted to start yeah. the game from the top again. Uh, and that's been really helpful because I am flying through the Midgar section. Uh, this time I would around. say, too, it's honestly like it's a maybe I'm biased because I've played it 14 times, but it's not. It's not a game that requires a ton of grinding. Like, it's a pretty breezy experience up until the very end where you might want to breed a golden chocobo. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Am I right? You have also in... You have also in previous episodes uh, claimed that people shouldn't breed a golden chocobo. Oh, 
interested. Now I'm at odds with my you made, you made a pretty a pretty compelling argument against doing that, even so, though you know how to do it like the back of your hand, and you said that you could uh, describe how to do it at the drop of a hat. I, please don't do it right now. But. <laughs> I actually have forgotten. I know it involves getting a carob nut via oh. steel, but uh, I used to know like every step off yes. the top of my head. Yeah, I mean the thing about the gold. You know what? Save it for the episode. Maybe don't. Save yeah. it for the episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it in the bonus. Can it? Uh, hey, let's wrap up. Let's wrap up. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our generous patrons. Speaking of the patron episode. Uh, we really appreciate those who are able to support the show. Just in case you don't know, if you want to listen to episodes like the uh, Evan Children commentary, if you back the Patreon for $1, you get access to all of our patron bonuses, past and present. Yes. $5 gets you access to our Airtable, which is like a database of everything we've ever done. You can type in Final Fantasy seven see, see all the episodes that we talked about it in. Uh, and also when it yeah. came out, what systems it's on, stuff like that. No pressure, but that's that's where you can support the show if you have the ability to do so. Thank you to those who are able to do that. It really does. I mean, we were able to get Steam decks because of that. We were able to get better equipment, pay AJ more. It has helped us tremendously this year, especially. So just huge thanks to everyone there. But uh, otherwise, into the cast that online is our hub for everything. That's links to the Discord, places to listen to the show. You can review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, that's basically it. anything on the horizon in terms of. Ga- I mean, <laughs> there are games coming out that I know are on the horizon, but anything you're especially excited about or want to shed out here, Brendan? Yeah, I mean, by the time this episode comes out, God of War Ragnarok will be out. Yes. Which is exhilarating. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. Uh, can I share the detail that has made me more excited about that game? Sure. So I've read a couple reviews and I'm pretty confident it's at least going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, we both liked the first one a lot, and I think yeah, we will at it, least like it. We'll, I will at least like it. But the detail I read that kind of fucked up my whole life was that in the first game, you get around largely by boat, so you're sailing with Kratos and Atreus and Mimir, going around, getting off uh, the boat and exploring places by foot. In this game, because it's the never-ending winter, the lake has frozen, so your main way of getting around is via sled. That is pulled by wolves. Ooh, hell <laughs> so yeah. Kratos is like Hot Topic Santa with a sled of wolves, <laughs> and I cannot wait for that. So something about that just made me really excited that the, the traversal mechanic has been Norsified yeah, in that way. That yeah. does sound extremely exciting. Uh, yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm also just excited to play more Harvestella, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, me too. Based on what you just shared. Yeah. Because now now that I've like broken through the precipice of like, oh, you can do whatever you want. I think that game is going to open up in a really fun way. And I'm not legitimately excited to go to the other towns and like meet more people. I'll also just shout out that I have been continuing to play Shovel Knight Dig every day. Um, that's our long. I realized this the other day. It's our longest running series on YouTube that we've ever done at this point. Wow. Which is pretty wild. Um, and I'm starting to do pretty well. I've been doing like Hell the daily yeah. leaderboards. Like I'm consistently in the top five at this point. Wow. Like every day, which is pretty cool. And that was using in Shovel Knight Day, you can unlock different armors, which, you know, enable different things. You start off with the standard like Shovel Knight blue armor that does nothing. Um, but there are other armors, some that have trade offs that like some will allow you to have two two abilities that you can use or some of them will be like uh, you get less gems, but you have more health. So like maybe you can, you know. Uh, live longer and there's this one that everyone in the leaderboard is wearing at all times this is like pink armor with kind of like gold gold accents and that makes it so as you make your way through each of the floors 
when you hit enemies or like dig up dirt or whatever, it fills up this meter. And if you can make it to the end of the floor with that meter full, uh, which means that you constantly need to be doing it, like you can't stop doing it the entire way you're going through, you'll get a bunch of extra money at the end of that floor. Oh, and and cool. everyone is using that armor. I dear listener and steven instead spent all of my money on the golden armor which literally in the thing says it's very fancy but does nothing um <laughs> because i thought it would be such a flex to get the expensive oh, yeah. armor that does nothing and that still be ranking great. yeah in yeah. like the top 10 top five and that was going very well for me but i did finally unlock that armor that everybody else is wearing and it's really good so yeah. if you want to see the progression of me uh slowly turning my back on the golden armor that was my brand <laughs> uh head over to our youtube and he can check that out you want to see brendan sell out in real time yeah Yeah. for real uh (laughs) as soon as i got a taste of those high scores i was like oh shit but i i feel good knowing that i was still placing without it that having been said um that game is so fucking good and i really 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 love it and I'm, i'm continuing to love it and i still haven't beaten it which is funny like i haven't gotten to the end of it yet but uh it's really good. So anyway, I, I'm making those videos pretty much every day. You can check those out. Um, they're essentially like, hey, I'm going to do a run of this game, but also have it be like a vlog because uh, I've just been talking about the other stuff that's going on in my life while while trying to traverse my way through through those levels. Anyway, awesome. head over to our YouTube, head over to our Twitch, go to Into the Castle Online. It's our links to everything. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Bye bye. Worst garbage, the online.